My name is Ryan Miner. I am your host of a Minor Detail Radio podcast, where the minor details of every story matter. Each week, I talk to Maryland newsmakers, from elected officials, journalists, political candidates, to policy wonks and everyday Marylanders. A Minor Detail podcast is the fusion between Maryland news and politics. Real people, real stories, honest conversation. You can also follow us on the web at aminordetail.com. Sit back, relax, and have fun. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to a Minor Detail Radio podcast. My name is Ryan Miner, and I am your host. You can find me on the web at aminordetail.com, where I cover Maryland news and politics. And uh, I'm sure you have heard that there is an election coming up. Early voting starts this Thursday, October the 25th. I believe that's the correct date. And the election is November the 6th. That's a Tuesday. And get out and vote. And if you haven't, if you can't get out and vote, early vote um, or send in your absentee ballot. Most importantly, get out and vote. So tonight I have a the distinct pleasure of having someone I know, someone that I really appreciate his role, and someone who I think you're going to enjoy listening to over the next hour. His name is Bernard or Bernie. I'm going to call him Bernie. Similar. He is a candidate for Washington County State's Attorney, Washington County, Maryland. Some candidates have some problems identifying Maryland counties who are running, so we have to clarify that Washington County, Maryland, not Washington County, Pennsylvania, but Washington County, Maryland, where I grew up, born, raised, have a family, probably caused a ruckus up there a few times, and tonight I have with me Bernie Semler. Welcome to the show, Bernie. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, of course. Um, you, you've you been a busy guy in the last, uh, what, when did you launch your campaign? I think it was last year. Yeah, we had been planning uh, a couple years out. We, we um, when I say we, really it's my wife and I had been planning this, and then it, the kickoff, I think we filed in late February, and then we had our big kickoff event March 8th of, of this year. And just from that point on, uh, just been 100% every day really has uh, been about politics and to reach as many voters as I can in the past, what has it been, nine, ten months now? Yeah, I remember your I, – unfortunately, I could not make your kickoff. I remember the pictures and the amount of people who showed up. People often overlook a state's attorney's race, and they often overlook it because there typically isn't one in Washington County. When's the last time that a state's attorney race – in the county has been this competitive, Bernie. Uh, 2006 is the last time, and and as like I said, when we when we were 
preparing my room for this office. I, I, I approach everything. I think somewhat like you do is, is that I went and researched just state's attorney elections throughout the nation, and, and you're right on the money. Is they're very rarely contested. It's very rarely do you beat an incumbent as a state's attorney, primarily because people, one, don't really understand what the job entails, and two, they don't know whether the current state's attorney is doing a good job or a bad job, a little different than most candidates where you can say, well, I'm voting for someone because they're pro-life, pro-choice, pro-gun, you know, whatever it is. And so it's a, it's a little different. The last time was 2006. Um, Charlie Strong, the incumbent that I'm running against, that was his only one contested election that he's ever faced. And he had Gordy Lynn and Greg Bannon, two attorneys on the Republican side, I think because they split the ticket, uh, Strong barely squeaked through, and then he beat Jerry Joyce, uh, the Democratic candidate in, in the uh, primary election. You mentioned earlier people sometimes aren't sure how to gauge whether a state's attorney is doing a good job or not. What's the old quote? If you can't measure it, you can't improve it. And it's sometimes difficult to imagine how do you measure the progress of a, of a state's attorney. And I want to talk about that briefly in just a moment. But first, and even before we get into your background, Bernie, let's talk about what a state's attorney does. People have all types of conceptions about the job, about who the job reports to, or how the organizational flow works inside of a county structure. But it is my understanding, of course, that criminal prosecutions, that's the primary duty of a state's attorney's office. And that flows from a pro- yeah, that flows from a process. But in Washington County, we're in the state of Maryland, Bernie, all state's attorneys, you have you, you're elected, you would have a boss who essentially then would become your boss. Technically, I guess it's the attorney general. It kind of oversees and provides policy, uh, uh, I mean, policy opinions uh, that you should attempt to implement throughout uh, your program. But, yeah, for the, on the county level, really, you're essentially the buck stops there with you as to how uh, you approach different programs in your community, how you uh, attempt to address uh, crime drugs, opioids, however you attempt to do it. But, yeah, I guess the attorney generals uh, technically would be above me, but at the county level, yes, uh, really the program runs through me if I am elected. Okay. And depending on the outcome of the attorney general race here in Maryland, your future boss could either be incumbent attorney general Brian Frosch or Craig Wolf, who's the uh, running against Brian Frosch as a Republican. And, it, uh, you know, at this point, I couldn't say who's going to win that race because I saw that polls are tightening. It's look, it's a Democratic state, but in a year as uh, odd as 2018, anything could happen in this race. And, and pointing and out, the, I agree completely. Yes. Yeah. And Bernie, pointing out the obvious. The state's attorney's job, I, I would at least hope so, but it's my understanding, too, that the job is pretty much apolitical. It's, you're immune to politics. It's, it's really about the, the job's pretty clear cut. Is that, accurate? is that an accurate statement? Absolutely, and I, we've 
I mean, it's one of those ones where you you just don't really understand why it's it is run the way it's run in the sense that Republican Democrat candidates running for the office when I believe it's completely nonpartisan. Uh, part of my message has been completely uh, making people aware that you know safety is nonpartisan. Criminals don't pick their victims by political affiliation. That uh, and if elected, you know I represent all. Uh, the citizens of Washington County. It's my job to try to keep them safe and and put forth ideas and policies and programs that are, that are going to do that, regardless of what political affiliation you might be with. Yeah, and that's the the job I would see maybe in the future. I can't. I don't understand why it's a Democrat or a Republican job. I'm more inclined to think that this is one of the most nonpartisan positions one could occupy as a citizen. So uh, maybe in the future, we'll see in Maryland that state's attorneys, the ballot will become nonpartisan. I, I would like to see that. That would be, that makes sense. Oh, I to would me. too. And, 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 and probably the closest one at the county level also would be the, the sheriff's race uh, in most counties as well. Once again, I don't understand why that one's political. I, I think that one should also be nonpartisan because it's really uh, uh, the most comparable position just on the other side, the enforcement of the law. And once again, that's a political race across each county here in the state of Maryland. That is uh, a race that we that somewhat intertwines with the state's attorney. You would work handedly with the sheriff of Washington County, whether that Doug Mollendor, um, should he be reelected, he's the incumbent, or Brian Albert, who is uh, opposing uh, Sheriff Mollendor in that race. So Let's walk through some just basic flow of what happens in the day of a life of a state's attorney. I'm sure that's a question you might get when you're out knocking doors when they say, all right, Bernie, um, you're a great guy. We like you. Um, you seem like you're up to the job, but tell us exactly what the job means and what, do you, what, do you, what would you be doing day to day? Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and to, to be honest, when I knock on most doors, uh, and this is at the basic level of your constituents is that you say, oh, I'm running for Washington County State's Attorney, and they just hear state's attorney. So to be honest, most people think your basic constituent thinks I'm running for the attorney general job. They think I'm headed down to Annapolis. <laughs> Even very often you'll see on social media where I have a lot of Republican support and people will post things like, whoa, anybody but Brian Frosch on the Republican side, thinking that I'm somehow running against Frosch and that they don't understand that since it's called state's attorney, they have this view that you're running the state. And that's like, and a lot of times I have to explain, well, probably would be better if it was just called county attorney, but, but it's not each county has its own uh, state's attorney. And then having to go from that point to explain that, hey, initially, yes, as you mentioned earlier in the program, my job is to prosecute all cases that uh, uh, that occur out of Washington County, all criminal cases, uh, and uh, do that efficiently and effectively. But then kind of the where I've drawn uh, uh, tried to differentiate myself from the incumbent is is that I think the job has evolved. It's not just a job that you stay in your office or stay in the courtroom. It's a job that you should be involved in the communities. And I think more progressive counties have moved in that direction. In even closer counties to us, neighboring counties, Carroll County, Frederick County, Montgomery County, uh, I think if you look at what their state's attorneys have accomplished over the past couple of years. It's more than just prosecuting 
uh, criminals or prosecuting people that have been charged with a crime uh, because when you prosecute, to me, all that's reactive. It, you know, the police have done a job. They've, they've charged someone with a crime, and really then you're just being reactive to that charge, and you're hopefully handling it appropriately through the system, whereas I'm thinking, as I've viewed many of these other counties, there is a, reactive, there is a proactive component as well, which, you know, our, our, our county has so sorely been missing and attempting to work on fighting crime before it occurs, working hand-in-hand with the police to do that. And that just doesn't occur in this county. But other counties have, I think, have moved in that direction, and I, I hope if, if I'm elected to do the same. Well, as you say, Bernie, is that um, in my county, where I live now, Montgomery County, um, I'm sure you're familiar with John McCarthy. And I am. John McCarthy is someone whom I highly respect and someone who's really taken a pivotal role um, in shaping the narrative of the type of county Montgomery County is with respect to law enforcement, with the respect to how they approach um, certain uh, misdemeanors and, and, and drugs. Um, and we know that there's a million people in Montgomery County. John McCarthy has been out front with rehabilitation efforts, meaning that he's not going to lock up people that have necessarily a drug problem. I mean, of course, and we'll get to this later, and even a statement that you made that if somebody with an addiction problem is then a public safety problem where they endanger the the safety of the public, then yes, you would prosecute them to the fullest extent of the law. But um, John McCarthy has taken on an oper- uh, this, this new concept of drug courts, and they've been working just fabulously and they they work for the years, county council and it's right. just something for that years. is exactly that drug courts are something so vitally important because we understand that we have a criminal justice problem and there's a component to that that there's a reform and then there's the prosecution and then there is sort of the day-to-day operations and we know that with criminal justice and the reform element We have to stop thinking about how we lock people up. Rather, how are we going to prevent people in the future to stop committing these crimes and then ensure that they become productive members of society? And that falls at the hands of how law enforcement approaches the issue by issue by issue. Is that an accurate statement, Bernie? Uh, absolutely, I completely agree, and and I've never met uh, him personally, but uh, as I said, I'm I'm just one of those people that research everything, and I I've, I've looked I've had a few cases in Montgomery County, but uh, I, I love the website. I love the different programs that they've implemented. I love the fact that uh, when they do have serious issues, that he, in my opinion, he seems to not wait till they reach a crisis level uh, to address them. I, I think he's always trying to be on the cutting edge, the forefront of an issue before it becomes something that is almost a uh, insurmountable and and uh, from the information from the news articles and as I said from the website that I viewed from Montgomery County, I mean that's that's kind of the prototypical model that that I, I'd like to move towards and and as I say I tell this to people all the time is that you can have the same program in two different counties but uh, whether it's successful will always be dependent upon the individuals that run the program. And uh, yeah. it could be the same exact program, but it comes down to the people that are there working it day by day, and you have to have the right people working the right program to have success. 
I agree. Bernie, when you're a, when you become a state's attorney in any county, you have a series of assistant state's attorneys who report to you, who you will see inside of the district court um, as well. I believe as well as in circuit court um, who will prosecute the uh, certain crimes. Um, but oftentimes people believe that the state's attorney might prosecute every single crime. But of course, that it wouldn't be possible. That's why you have states assistant state's attorneys in Washington County. How many are how many assistants would you have? I think it's 19 is the number. And now different different uh, uh, counties have different numbers based on obviously population and the, and the amount of crime and, and issues. But uh, right now, I believe there's 19. I believe two of those are deputy state's attorneys. Once again, other counties have different amount of deputy state's attorneys. Once again, also based on the amount of income, you know, that uh, that you have to, to run the programs. But here in Washington County, we have currently, as it's currently structured under uh, my opponent, there's two deputy state's attorneys, which kind of like are your second in command uh, handling probably the, the bulk of the more serious cases. And then I believe there's 17 other assistant state's attorneys. And as you said, they do handle the prosecution in both the circuit court and the district court, and as well as up in the circuit court, you also have your juvenile court for your juvenile cases. They handle those right. as well. Right. And you would essentially be managing the flow of and the operational flow of what cases they take. And is it is it common for state's attorneys to actually get involved with a case or they will be the the prosecuting attorney on a particular case, Bernie? Uh, it, it is common. It, not in this county, though. In other counties, absolutely. In this county, uh, I personally cannot recall uh, the last time my opponent uh, tried a felony case in Washington County. I, 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 as I said, I've never seen it happen, and that's so that we're looking at probably over 10 years. So he, he doesn't personally handle them, in my opinion. Uh, maybe I've missed one, but it's very rare. Uh, usually, I think he runs... He used to run one docket in, in circuit court once a month and maybe fill in a district court once a month. And then I believe he used to uh, be in charge of the grand jury, but I think he's now handed that over to his deputy. So it's very rare for him to actually be involved in the prosecution of a case, at least my opponent. Other counties, different story. If I'm elected, yes, I, I will be involved uh, in two different ways, which I believe my opponent is not. One, I would be involved with the actual prosecution uh, of serious cases here in Washington County. I believe that's my duty. I believe that's part of the reason why people have a, uh, would have elected me for the position. Uh, part of what I've said, and I, I, I think my, my record speaks for itself here in Washington County, but I believe I'm, I'm one heck of a trial attorney, and I, I have the skills they, and I think people are electing me based off of those skills to to use those to the the advantage of our our citizens here in Washington County. To and so I would be involved in that capacity. And I also think if you're not prosecuting cases, you also have to be present in the courtroom because part of mentoring, actually mentoring your assistants, is you're in court to. Uh, observe what they're doing, helping them to improve. So, I mean, the, the, my goal would be, yeah, you want your assistants to someday be as good as you or surpass you as a trial attorney. And the only way that's going to happen is if you're present and you're observing them and you're continuing to mentor them and give them advice. Once again, that's something I think that just doesn't happen in our county. You mentioned that you're a hell of a trial attorney, and that's important. Um, so let's that's a in, now is a convenient segue 
into your background. Let's talk about you personally. And you didn't start out as a career in law. In fact, um, you went to college. You grew up in you grew up in Washington County, but then you um, you lived in a military family and you graduated high school in Arizona. You ran track and cross country on a scholarship um, at the University of Arizona, and you graduated with a bachelor's degree in education in 1993. Your first professional career was you were a teacher, and people think, Absolutely. "Wow, what a what a jump that is from." Being a classroom teacher, um, nonetheless, at a underprivileged school in Tucson until 1997, um, you were in a classroom. You were teaching students. You came back to Washington County, and then you taught at Northern Middle School in Smithsburg High from 1998 to 2001. What was the point where you said, hey, you know what? I think I want to give this law school thing a try. What was the the breaking point there? Or maybe not a breaking point, but what was the life-altering career decision, Bernie? Well, I'd always wanted to go go to law school. I'd always wanted to do it, uh, and but I, I loved teaching. I really did. I loved working with uh, kids uh, on a daily basis, and I, I think – over a period of time, I just felt, and, and I came from a family where everyone in my family practically is a teacher. My mother was a lifelong teacher and then a lifelong principal here in this county. I think she was a principal for over 20 years, retired uh, you know, six, seven years ago, finally. Uh, my sister is a teacher at Williamsport High School in the county. She's been teaching, I think, probably close to 25 years there. Uh, my brother-in-law is uh, at Boonesboro Elementary. So my whole family was, and the extended family really were teachers, and I, I love the profession. I just wanted that additional challenge. I just felt like there was more that I could give to, to, to my community. And uh, so luckily there, it was a good timing period is, is I reached out to my wife and I had said, you know, I'd really like to go back to law school. And luckily, when, when I'm talking timing, it was right before the market crashed. My wife's a realtor. She she was a firefighter for Montgomery County for 14 years, but then was disabled. Wow. And, and uh, so after that, she went into real estate. And luckily, I went to law school and graduated right before the market crashed because really she was – making the income for the entire family while I was in law school uh, because I went I went full-time day school and finished in three years and the market crashed right after I, I graduated which then we kind of switched roles where she was making all the money and then switched back to to then at that point to, to me doing it and I started with my own practice from day one which I didn't hadn't intended on doing that but uh, my wife was all about, you know, running your own business. She had run her own business successfully for a long period of time. She talked me into it. And, yeah, the first year or two was a little, you know, it was definitely a learning curve and uh, a little slow. And then I just stuck with it. And, and from that point on, I just grew my firm and practiced for about what would be going on 13, 14 years, 13 years now, uh, running my own, my own law firm. There was a period of time where my daughter, we had convinced her to go back to school, and she got a law degree. She was with me for a few years, and now she's in Howard County, and she has her own firm down there. Oh, wow. Well, um, you went to Dickinson Law, which um, did you did you stay up there, or did you just commute day to day? Commuted. And, and actually, it, it was at the time I was there, 
after my first year in Dickinson, and I love Dickinson. It's my understanding; it's the third oldest law school in in the United States. Uh, I just didn't want to commute down to D.C. because those were your other options, really. And and right. uh, with traffic, or I just didn't want the traffic. And with we had a family. Uh, I had three stepdaughters, or I call they all call me dad. I call them my daughter, but I had three young girls at the time, and we had just had a baby, and I, I just didn't want to commute. So uh, looked at Dickinson. Luckily, I got in. And the year after I got in, Penn State bought it. And so actually my degree says Penn State Dickinson because they wanted to move it to their main campus. Uh, but then they, they fought that because of the, the history of the school. So now Penn State actually has two law schools, one Dickinson, which I, and then they have one at the main campus. But yeah, I absolutely love Dickinson. I thought it was an amazing school. Well, I know a lot of attorneys, and I know that many of my friends uh, whom I graduated from college they went off and became attorneys, and I sort of lived um, my one of my best friends from uh, from college. He and I were fraternity brothers, um, still close. And we uh, he went to Georgetown Law, and I got a job on Capitol Hill right out of college. And so we were both in D.C. at the t- same time, doing much different things. But uh, I, you know, he and I hung out a lot together, and I went to many of his law school functions. And, um, you know, I always thought maybe I would go to law school. I took my LSATs and I, uh, I probably could have done better on the LSATs. I mean, I did. Okay. I mean, I, I did average and, uh, I just, uh, I didn't really study that much, but I nonetheless, um, am, am, am it's always something in the back of my mind. I'm like, Oh, you know, maybe I should go to law school. I, I am, I, I enjoy the law. I, I, I think it's something would be fascinating to study. But where I was going with this is that when his first year, his first year was in 2008, and that's when we both graduated, I remember him just saying, oh, my God, college really didn't really prepare me for how I needed to study to be a, a first-year law student. And uh, I mean, he did really well. He's a smart guy, and now he's working at a, a Chicago firm in corporate law. But he's like, oh, I just – I never understood how to study and I guess your first year in law school teaches you how to do that. Oh, absolutely. And that's what I said. I, I thought Dickinson did an amazing job uh, in the first year of, of getting you to understand. And even today, even when you do cases today, sometimes I, I when I'm against a, an opposing counsel, whether it's a civil or a criminal case, it doesn't, is that a lot of people think they can read a case Damn what it means, but uh, and and I think that's what Dickinson or any good law school does is that they they it's not just they're understanding the the true meaning behind a case or a lot of times what they call the holding of the case and to understand how it can be utilized uh, to win an argument to write a paper and um, yeah I as I said I thought Dickinson did a great job of preparing me uh, to not only be a good writer but uh, to be a good litigator. You know, Bernie, straight talk here. People say um, it's it's expensive to go to law school. Did and and I think mo- you're, you might be along with many of us. I've had to, you know, going to grad school. I had to take out student loans, and uh, law school's not cheap, and especially a good law school like Penn State Dickinson. So, were you one of the the millions of of, of Americans who've had to take out loans to do that? I did. Well, I got lucky, and I, I don't know if it was just because I was in an unusual situation. I went to Arizona on a track scholarship, 
And then, and as I said, we didn't. We kind of went through my background. I was a little older, and I was obviously had a degree from Arizona, and so I guess my LSAT scores were good enough. And because I was a little older than your typical law student, I actually did get a scholarship to go to Penn State Dickinson. It, it paid half of the. The, oh, I paid great. half the tuition, so I I still do have uh, uh, student loans to pay, but luckily they weren't as bad as they could have been. Well, that's good. That's and I know that some people, many people, millions of Americans, um, brilliant people, that they're just saddled with you know, student student loans until they're, gosh, in their fifties. Um, oh, and that's uh, a yes. whole yeah. that's a whole other conversation. But today we'll stick to uh, your role as the state's attorney. But so here we are today. You practice some law in in Washington County. How, tell us, tell us how did, how'd that go? What what kind of law did you practice? Um, most people who think if you practice law, you're automatically a criminal, you know, a criminal defense attorney. And I've seen some of my friends who practice law. Um, they they go in an opposite direction and they they practice uh, niche areas of law. But um, my fascination has always been with criminal uh, the criminal side. So. What kind of private right. practice did you get into, Bernie? Right, and I think in, in, and you see so many young people that go into law school, and as you said, your friend it goes off to Chicago, New York, D.C., and uh, really where the bigger money is. But then obviously I had a family. I knew I was going to stay here with my family. I love Washington County. I, I knew we weren't going to go job-seeking somewhere else. So when I first started, I honestly believed I was going to pro- practice property law because, you know, a wife does really state that we could do settlements and and actually the firm that I interned at throughout my entire law uh, school uh, was they needed a property attorney so I thought that that was what I was going to do but then very quickly learned if you're in a small town which I call Hager's down a small town when you're in a small yeah. town to be successful running your own firm, you kind of are a jack of all trades. So very quickly, I started to do all types of law. But as you, the one that unfortunately and unfortunately both it, it, they caught on is the, the criminal defense because at the time when things were slow and my my law uh, firm was just starting, uh, the public defender's office, and I will be always grateful for what they did for me is very early on they started me with just a few cases and then a few cases became 50 cases a year and then it became 300 cases. I think the highest I did at one point, it was just under 400 cases uh, a year, public panel cases. So anytime they would have a conflict, they would very often call me first and say, hey, do you want this conflict case? Now, granted, you're, you don't charge what you could normally charge because you're still doing, you're doing it at a reduced rate, helping the, them uh, handle. But they took my learning curve and just drastically increased it because just of the bulk of cases that I was handling in just all criminal cases. And so, uh, and, infor- and as I said, whether times are good or bad, crime is always there. And so there, it allowed me to really be in the courtroom day after day after day. And if you're going to become a good trial attorney, you couldn't ask for anything better than to just be in the court all the time handling a, a, a wide variety of cases. And, and I was very thankful for that. I stopped doing panel cases, shoot, I don't know, maybe three, four years ago. And then, uh, so there was a long period of time, probably six, seven years, where I did do a lot of panel. I also did private practice and and handled private cases as well. But I was taking that many cases, and then slowly I I decided to to not take panel cases anymore. 
Hmm. You know, I was thinking, um, I have a good friend uh, in Hancock. She's the only attorney. You might know Jordan Lysak. Um, she's, I uh, I've never yeah, met Jordan, her personally, but I think we spoke, uh, we spoke on, uh, on uh, Facebook or social media before, yes. Yeah, I believe she went to Dickinson as well. I'm pretty sure she did. Oh, did she? And, yeah, yeah, she is the, the only attorney up there. Yeah, she's the only attorney there, and she does uh, a great job, and she's really growing her practice. And I, I always appreciate to see people who get out of law school go into private practice. It becomes a small business of sorts, and it's, uh, it, it takes a lot to do that. So, Bernie, let's get into the reasons why you wanted to run, how you – how you thought out this process. I want to go through your mind about what, how you decided to actually seek this position. And look, let's let's tear the the, the proverbial paper here off the wall. And Maryland is an interesting state um, in that it's um, very Republican in some areas and very Democratic in other areas. And earlier in the show, we talked about how state's attorney's job, even in Maryland, it's a, it's a, you run on Republican or Democrat. You're a Democrat, but Washington County is Republican. And it's, it, it seems like even though there's the, you know, if you're the best man for the job and you have a D next to your name, that you, you somehow get overlooked or you're not elected simply by the, um, by the fact that you're a, or a Democrat, and that seems to me like it's just ridiculous. Now, that's, there's a few people who are the exclusion to that rule. Um, Doug Molendor is one. He's been a Democrat for a long time. Um, but Bernie, has people in, have people in Washington County said to you, you know, Bernie, you're a great candidate. We're going to vote for you, but you know, you're a Democrat running in a Republican county. Does that, does that pose any challenges to your run, Bernie? No, absolutely, absolutely, and we we knew that going in, and uh, as I said, thinking about this in the year or two prior to the race, we knew that we knew that was going to be the biggest obstacle. Uh, have had several, uh, as I said, I I have a my, the umbrella of support has uh, is quite diverse. I've uh, gone and spoke to the Washington County Tea Party here. Uh, many of those uh, people that are part of that organization have embraced my ideals. They're very supportive, which I would say sometimes are, you would say they're more of the more conservative Republicans. And then all on the other side of the umbrella, I've had uh, liberal Democrats support my ideas. But uh, I, I have not changed. I, the two things I wanted to do was, one, obviously be – blatantly honest uh, throughout my run and and not change my message no matter who I talk to and so whether it's Republican or Democrat my message is the same I tend to be I tend to describe myself as a, as a conservative Democrat uh, sometimes when people want to label it sometimes I call myself a Reagan Democrat even though I don't know if they exist anymore but it, it is it, it's hard because in this county uh, one, I was faced with the fact of explaining to people what the job entails, what you could get out of the job if you had the right person in the position, and then two, getting people past the fact, as you said, that there's going to be a D after my name. And and that's that's tough in this county. It is when you're running for a countywide position. It's a little different if you're running for Hagerstown. Hagerstown is kind of the reverse. More, I think it's like two thirds Democrat, but countywide, it's different. It's the opposite. And uh, to get people to understand that my ideas are really uh, conservative, but common sense ideas, but 
as I said, can you get past it? There's a D after after my name. And I think we're going to see on November 6th whether I reached enough people. Well, I think the honest question here is do Democrats process crime any differently than Republicans? And I think even though that might seem like a silly question, um, I'm sure some people will consider your party in Washington County – for whatever reason, I think that people should do their homework and look at the candidate and their positions. And speaking of that, um, I want to talk about where you stand on some, some key issues, but I want you to frame it. What are you running on? What's your platform? Uh, a couple different main issues. Uh, the first big issue that I pushed from the very beginning was uh, community prosecution, very similar to to uh, community policing, basically the understanding, I mean, that that are at their job to be more proactive in crime fighting if they're actually in the community. So that started years ago. And then community prosecution is very similar. Now, Baltimore, when in their races down there for the state's attorney positions, the, the, some, uh, I think the, one of the candidates was talking about bringing it back because it had been removed. And sometimes people think community prosecution is just having a, a prosecutor in a specific uh, jurisdiction of the county in, in each police department. Here in Washington County, we have, obviously, we have the Washington County Sheriff's Office that covers the whole county. We have the Hagerstown Police Department. We also have a few smaller municipalities, which is Hancock, uh, Boonesboro, and Smithburg, that have their own police departments. But what I was talking about, about community uh, prosecution is it, it's, a, it's, it's a different county because we're a rural county, but we have Hagerstown in the middle, which Hagerstown tends, even though it's a small town, it has a lot of the big city problems. But all the other little municipalities still have their issues. And when I'm talking about the smaller municipalities, the more rural ones, Smithburg, Boonesboro, Clear Spring, Keatsville, Williamsport, uh, Funkstown, Hancock, all of these one, uh, municipalities have their own issues. They have their own town councils. And I, very early on, back in March, I started going to their town council meetings, and many of them I've been to two or three times now. And the same message I heard over and over, which is we don't know who the, the state's attorney is, and and even if we did know who he was, we haven't seen him in 10 years. And I would say, okay, well, what are your problems? And each each municipality has its own issues, obviously, with crime. And I say, well, what I would do is I would put a prosecutor in your town council meetings that would be there, that would work hand-in-hand hand with you and kind of would also be your liaison between uh, the issues you're having in law enforcement so that we cannot just, once again, be reactive to the problems you're having, but be proactive in attempting to, to solve these issues be, before they become bigger issues. Uh, I can tell you it was uh, well-received across the board uh, through each of these town council Councils, uh, uh, I heard nothing but good things. Uh, they they are reaching out for it. They were crying out for this representation. A lot of times, I would say, you pay county taxes for your state's attorney who you never see, who sits up in those offices in Agerstown, and they understood that. And they they also understood, and some things I learned along the way, uh, such as all these smaller police municipal uh, uh, programs, and like I said, in Smithburg, Boonesboro, Hancock, that. Because of the lack of communication between the state's attorney's office and, let's say, Hancock Police Department, then a lot of times when the Hancock Police Department charged a crime, they run down the road to Hagerstown. And granted, it, it's maybe a 30-minute drive, but you know, one way. But 
a lot of times they'll drive all the way down and they're taken off the street in Hancock where Hancock's paying them to be there just to go down and sit in court to then learn after they've driven down there and sat there for an hour and a half. Perhaps a witness wasn't subpoenaed or discovery wasn't turned over for them to run all the way back and just repeat this process over and over. And they said, if we just had communication, we would save our town money. We would keep our officers on the street, keeping us safer. And so those are some of the things I learned along the way. And so the, one of the bigger ones was this community prosecution. And once again, that's been my push, is that if you're going to be proactive, you have to have the community care and be involved. And sometimes, yeah, communities, you know, they're so involved, individuals are so involved with what they're doing, it's hard to get communities to care. Where that's where you have to care for the community and keep pushing until you slowly bring one person along, two people along, you know, churches along, so that it's it's a uniform movement. And and it's going to be hard at first. I know that it's going to be hard at first, but it's a, it's a task that I I think needs to be done. And so that's the big push. And then obviously the other one I know we'll talk about is obviously we have the opioid epidemic, and as I said, yeah. the, the the rising what I would say rising violent crime in Washington. County. Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's go right into um, the the opioid addiction in the Washington County commuter uh, c- community. It happens not only in Washington County. It happens in Western Maryland. It happens on the Eastern Shore. It happens in Montgomery County. It happens outside of Maryland. It is a national crisis. It is a national crisis, and I'll say that again because we all understand what it means. Because it's so tangible. We all have someone who we might know who is affected by opioids. We may have even lost somebody. Our mutual friend, Emily Keller, on the city council, ran for city council um, on a platform because she had a close personal friend who overdosed. And then she has made this her keystone issue, you know, among other issues. Uh, and it is just such a, a widely discussed topic where there's no one solution to the topic, and politicians um, and candidates are attempting to to really get their hands around it, and that's great. I'm even in Washington County. I think earlier this year there was a an opioid summit. That's that's so promising, Bernie. That really is where there's all facets of the community who come together to to tackle this problem. So, what would be your approach to to this this addiction issue? My biggest uh, my biggest point on this is is that I've been before I announced my my candidacy I was already attending forums and summits uh, on the opioid crisis because as you know this been has been going on for years. Uh, I, I can tell you, uh, having been a criminal defense attorney for a large part of my career, it was about four or five years ago that probably ninety percent of our drug cases in Washington County were either cocaine or crack cocaine cases, 90%. Then about five years ago, very quickly, and it was rare that you would see a heroin case. And then five years ago, very quickly, things changed. And you you saw the opioid pills and you saw the heroin cases. And within a year, it almost flipped the opposite way where 90% of the cases were heroin cases and opioid yeah. pill cases and, and oxycodone cases. And since that time when you saw that, that flip, it is, it is not let up. 
And in our county, as I said, I, I say it all the time, almost year after year after year, we break the record for the number of overdoses from the year before, the number of fatalities. I think, I think we broke the, number of, uh, the record for the number of fatalities from overdoses in August of this year as to what we had the year before. So it's not letting up. And a lot of times when I talk to people, I'm like, you would think the fatalities would be going down just because of the prevalence of Narcan training because the, our Washington County Health Department, Victoria Sterling, yeah. another good friend of mine, she has been pushing the Narcan training and getting the availability of Narcan to, to anybody that, that really wants and, uh, to, to learn and have access to it. Uh, and so uh, it's there. But the issue that I've had with our county is, is as, as we talked about adult tort court, we talked about Montgomery County, Frederick County, Montgomery County, Carroll County, they've had an adult drug court for years, many of them 10 years or more, and they have shown the success of those type of programs. We have not. We Our, our state's attorney is, has sat on his hands and done nothing with it. Now, at the forum we just had, he claimed the reason was the funding, that, that we, the funding wasn't there for it. But as I said, I, I had trouble understanding that because every other county has received funding for it. Governor Hogan put more money out there uh, when he uh, stated that it would that he declared us there, and yet we we've done nothing year after year. So part of it is yeah, understanding that we need the adult drug court. My understanding is is that uh, Brett Wilson, who's one of our judges, is going to be running that program. It's supposed to start sometime in early 2019. If elected, obviously I would be a huge person in that program to to help run it. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. We also have the Day Reporting Center, uh, which is out at the detention center. That was uh, uh, Sheriff Mullendorf's program. Uh, There's a lot of good things with that program as well. Some things I would change, but once again, a good program as well. But the biggest issue I've had across the board, no matter what program you're running, is the people that are running the program to, to make it successful and when we talk about what collaboration truly is. Because sometimes when I go to these opioid forums and summits, the people there are amazing. They all want to do the right thing and try to find a solution to this problem that, that it is, is so difficult to find a solution to. But sometimes I also believe that we, we do a lot of talking, and, and I tend to be someone that wants to find solutions. So when we declare it's, a, it's a, an epidemic, there's part of me that wants to go to those forums and summits and say, what are the things that we need to do today to try to save lives today? And let's pick three or four things that we can focus on implementing in the next month that, that need to happen to save lives and then say, what can we do in the next six months? What can we do in the next year? And kind of uh, uh, break it down into those type of uh, increments to understand that we're continuing to push the ball further down the field uh, with this problem that, it, it, as, a, as you said, is, is so difficult to tackle. I think the state's attorney's role and inside of your office, you have an opportunity to really set policy and the tone for an issue that I dearly care about, and it's criminal justice reform. You have that opportunity to be a guiding light on what that reform entails at the local level. And working on criminal justice reform issues, getting into the policy of that Bernie, and I've, uh, this is an issue that I am so passionate about. 
do you see a problem in the criminal justice system that minorities are being disproportionately prosecuted with stronger crimes or rather stronger penalties? And what would we do to solve that that problem? I, I do. That was actually another question that we we had at the the forum that uh, that my opponent and I attended through the League of Women Voters. A very similar question about uh, are minorities receiving disproportionate sentences or harsher yeah. sentences for the offenses that they receive? And and as I said, I I I think he kind of framed it in that well. Judges may do it, but they don't do it intentionally, and and we need to be colorblind. I think that was his answer, and and my answer is is uh, there's two different approaches. One, once again, the proactive approach of being involved in communities, and when I say communities, that obviously is the African American communities as well, being involved at the school level with programs. And once again, I didn't envision that the state's attorney's office would be involved in all these programs, but a lot of times sure. if no one else is going to do it, then someone has to step up and run the program. And right. as I said, then, then, my, then my office is going to do it. Why? Because I've always believed that you can be tough on crime by not just harsh sentences, but also being tough on the causes of crime, which we've talked in my, I always think the causes are addiction, which we've talked about, homelessness, unemployment, and mental health, that you can run programs that can help people to not just continue to be incarcerated and released and incarcerated and released. So part of it is, is one, is obviously being involved in the, in the communities. And then, two, I also think you need to diversify uh, your, your office. To, to bring in minorities into the office uh, in uh, attorney positions, and as well as hopefully someday also diversify your 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 judiciary here as well. And in fact, we just got. I mean, it's only been in the past I think five years that we finally got our first woman judge on the bench, and that was uh, Judge Wright. And then she was very yeah. very closely followed by uh, Judge Paula Vicky Paula right after her. Right. And, but I, to date, we, we do not have a, a minority judge on our bench here in Washington County. Hmm. I did not. I wasn't aware of that, Bernie. And I think that that's important to to catch up with the times. And and nothing against Washington County, but on some issues, I feel like Washington County is behind and where they should be. And it's it's no that's, insult to the I community. But I com- it's no, just, it's not. But no, I, it I completely agree. It is. Uh, Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about when you're out knocking doors and you're listening to the concerns about the justice system in Washington County, do you ever have questions like where people say, well, I'm a law and order guy or gal and, you know, I I need my state's attorney to be law and order, lock them up and throw away the key. And we all we, we have to understand that that's not always the best option locking people up. I mean, I know it's a case by case basis of how you approach crime, about how you approach justice and that word justice. What does it mean? You know, is it justice for a victim? Is it justice for all parties involved? That's that's a vitally important question is how you will approach um, how you will approach the um, the sentencing um, in Washington County. What's um, what say you? Yeah, oh, I agree. Is that it? Once again, being a predominantly Republican county, more often than not, 
the doors you will knock on, you will get the response that, that you just mentioned. Whereas more often than not, people want harsher sentences. They want people to be incarcerated. They do not believe that the sentences uh, fit the crime here in Washington County. So that's, that, that is the narrative that you do here in the county. And, and, and as I said, I do not change my message for whoever I talk to. And there is part of that that I absolutely agree with, that there are crimes that I believe in, in especially violent crimes and crimes with handguns, usually stolen handguns that are sold into our communities, uh, that I believe that the sentence are not harsh enough. I, I absolutely believe that. And so I, I have said, yeah, on, there are crimes that, that I absolutely would seek harsher sentences on. And I've said that from day one, and I've been consistent with that. Uh, I've also said that, and in, in this is where, as I said, it is a balancing act. And if you're, I mean, you can always be liberal, you can be conservative, but I think if you actually want to do this job correctly, there is a balancing act. And the balancing act is, is to understand that, yes, there are people that have addiction issues, and we're going to do what we can to make sure that they don't victimize people in this community. Uh, because I cannot, I cannot let somebody's, while, as I said, I am all about doing everything I can to give treatment, quick access to treatment to those that need and want the help. I, but I, I cannot allow somebody's addiction to outweigh somebody else's public safety. And that's where that balancing act is, is to understand that if somebody's going to continue to sell poison on our streets, I have to remove them. If someone is going to use their addiction then to burglarize people's homes or uh, to commit armed robberies in our communities, I have to remove them. And I'm not saying that these people won't see treatment or uh, receive the treatment they deserve because most of the time people don't. You get locked away and you're not receiving treatment. You're not really re being rehabilitated. And when we're talking about revitalizing or changing the criminal justice system, it is that rehabilitation uh, factor that I think we've lost where people get out and they're no better than when they went in, they still can't find a job, and then they just return back to crime. So I'm sensitive to all that. But as I said, it's a balancing act. It's understanding that my number one job really is public safety, and then very close right under that is is to, to help this addiction issue and understand that if I fight addiction proactively, hopefully I can get people the treatment they need before they – move up the ladder in the crimes. As I said, if, it, if you're catching people at the possession level, then you would be so much better off. Once they get into the distribution or the commit, committing of a violent crime to uh, facilitate their uh, ability to gain money to go buy drugs, then we've moved up to the, the ladder to a point that I, you're forcing my hand to remove you from the community. And so, as I said, it's one of those ones that's a balancing act. And as I said, if you do that balancing act correctly, you're probably never going to make everybody happy. There are going to be cases where people are going to be upset that I was too lenient, and there are going to be cases that people are going to be upset that I was too harsh. But in the end, I believe that's what doing justice is about. And doing justice is about listening to what the community as a whole wants. And the only way you can do that, and that's why I push for that, is to be out in the community listening to what, what, what is the overall view, not just a single view, but the overall view of the community, and to try to glean that through the conversations you have on a daily basis with your constituents. Yes, they are. They are the people who will tell you what's, what they want, and they will give you 
the feedback. And I want to give you some perception. Um, the state's attorney's job is some is so vitally important to a community in the respect of leadership. I would say the state's attorney often should be standing next to the sheriff, county leaders. And to be honest with you, Bernie, I, and I'm not sure if this is a knock against your opponent, Charlie Strong, who's been doing this for a number of years now, has been in elected office. But, you know, state's attorneys take on some high-profile cases. Um, and I, I think there's an opportunity to, to talk about public safety issues, to use the state's attorney's position, not, as, not necessarily as a way or a bully pulpit to elicit press from, from, for you personally, but rather to use it as a mechanism to talk about some of these really tough issues that I see Washington County or the city of Hagerstown often sort of skirting away from. And I see you could be somebody who is effective at communicating why it's certain initiatives in the community. And I haven't seen that. I haven't seen Charlie Strong hold too many press conferences or get in front of an issue that is before the courts. That, to me, is a leadership issue. Would you agree? I absolutely believe it is. And and, and as you said, it, it's weird because probably some people would, would call it almost politicizing the position, but I don't – I view it very much as you said, It is that – there are issues that I believe the state's attorney should have a voice, and, and my opponent does not believe that. Almost across the board, it's very rare that you will see him outside of his office, let alone having a press conference. One of the issues that, that, it's, uh, that I would, and I said I would have a voice on, would be uh, the correctional officers and the, the understaffing of correctional officers. And people would not generally think that that's a state's attorney position that a state's attorney should have a voice on, but I said I will. Why? Because and and it's it's a an issue that I believe Hogan inherited. I don't think it was his causing of where we are today, but I also think that perhaps he hasn't addressed the issue as quickly as he could have. And here in Washington County, uh, we have uh, prisons here that are one of our major employers. Many of these prisons are so understaffed that it is a public safety issue. We have correctional officers go to work day in and day out, and the understaffing is so bad, or they're doing double shifts, and they're so tired, in my opinion, their safety is at issue. And that's why the state's attorney should be involved, because anything that involves public safety and or crime, it's my understanding almost that they can't even keep up with the crime that occurs within the prisons and bringing charges because they're so understaffed. And as I said, if I can lend a voice, and I've explained to them, as a state's attorney, can I make policy? No. Can I stand beside you and say, this is a public safety issue here here in Washington County, and can I lend another voice to it that perhaps can draw attention to it? Absolutely. Right, and you can stand beside our, our elected officials and your state delegate and your state senator and when they go to Annapolis, you can bring that perspective and testify. I've seen many, many occurrences where state's attorneys will um, talk about issues for reform or, uh, you know, inside of the, the department and take those issues directly to Annapolis. And that is vitally important. We want you to have a relationship with our state delegation. We want you to have a relationship with our governor and the attorney general so you can bring Washington County's issues to the forefront. Well, Bernie, I'll tell you what, we've had a great conversation. 
Um, I am I'm glad that you are running. I think that this is an important race that everybody should keep an eye on. So go ahead. Just make your final point. Uh, thank you so much for having me on tonight, Ryan. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I knew I knew it would be. Every time I run into you, I, I enjoy our conversations. Uh, I appreciate that. I really, I really believe that, that we've run the best possible race that, that we could have run. We've been out there every single day. I've knocked on doors from March. Even though I was unopposed in the primary, we knew early on it was all about message. And if I could just get my message out and make people understand that there is a new role that the state's attorney could take if you just had the right person in the, in the position, that people would be open to that. And so uh, we're down to, I think, what, 16 days left. Uh, I believe I'm the right person for the job here in Washington County. And uh, uh, as I said, my support, my the umbrella of support has been wide. I've had long Enforcement endorsed me here in Washington County. I have the AFLCO, UAW, which is your auto workers. Uh, mm-hmm. Just lots of people from all different walks of life get behind the message, which I, I think people really, in this case, it sounds sometimes like a cliche, but they just want change and they want things to move in the right direction. And I think they might think I'm the right man for the job, and I'm hoping they do. Well, I appreciate that, and I appreciate that you are taking the race so seriously and knocking on doors attending every community event and function that you can find. I see the sea of orange wherever I go when I am in Washington County. You you seem to have a an active social media base. You have a dedicated volunteer base. That is key components of running a successful campaign operation. So my hat is off to you for uh, dedicating yourself to this mission and to the people of Washington County. Bernie Simler, I appreciate you joining the show tonight, and um, we'll find out what happens on November the 6th. Thank you so much. Have a good evening. Okay, thanks, Bernie. You too, and have a great week. All right, friends, that was Bernie Simler. He is running for Washington County State's Attorney. The election is November the 6th on two next, wait, two Tuesdays from now, or is it three? I can't keep track. Um, but early voting begins this Thursday, and in Washington County, I believe early voting in Washington County. I'm googling this, and just in case you don't know um, where it is, Washington County used to be behind the um, the, uh, the the off of 81, but I'm not sure where early voting is. Um, but I'm going to tell you in just a second because I'm just Googling this. Oh, it's Hager Hall Conference Center, 901 Dual Highway. So Hager Hall off of the Dual Highway behind Barefoot Bernie's early voting center is there. You'll see all the signs. So either early vote, vote on Election Day or absentee ballot it up. So please get out there um, and take a look at all the candidates. Keep your eye on these different races and do your research before you go out and vote. I don't have to tell you that. I, I try to do our reason, you know, Kim and I sit down with our ballots and we look at all the candidates and we, we research their websites. We ask them questions. We pick up the phone, we meet with them if they're willing to meet and we sit down and, and have that important conversation. So I hope you vote, 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 not early, not well, early, but go out and vote. Please do it for humanity's sake. Um, <laughs> if 
you don't vote, we end up getting bad people elected to office. You can find me on the web at a aminordetail.com, blogtalkradio.com slash aminordetail is where you can find the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Check out Bernie Simler. He's a great candidate. And have a great week. And again, go out and vote.